Welcome to the Inferno Cast. Today's guest is a professional boxer, a professional mixed martial arts fighter, a former UFC veteran, and an alumni of the Ultimate Fighter Show from down under, Mr. George Sauteropoulos. How are you doing today, George? Hey, Caleb. How are you? Good. Man, I am great. So, to jump right into it, you've had a long career being a mixed martial artist, but that started when you were a lot younger. So I really wanted just to kind of go back to how you discovered martial arts as a kid and what your influences were that kind of got you interested in martial arts from the beginning. Well, growing up watching Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, Van Damme, Rocky, all those kinds of movies were an influence as they were to all of us. And then I you know, dabbled in some karate as a teenager briefly and then a bit of boxing briefly but then I discovered the UFC when I was about 19 years old on a Friday night with a friend and he says to me hey George I've got these tapes of these guys fighting in cages and I'm like I'm like put it on <laughs> so we put the tapes on and uh, it was it was like it blew my mind I'm like I have to do this I must do this and um, Ironically, I walk into, uh, into the first martial arts club, which was in my hometown, which, you know, it's, it's an hour from Melbourne. It's like a little, it's a small city. And there was Brazilian jiu-jitsu up there on the wall. And I'm like, huh, this jiu-jitsu must be everywhere. But it happened to be the only jiu-jitsu club in the country at the time, one of two. So that, that's when I started. And that was 1990, February 1997. And um, I started training jiu-jitsu twice a week or basic martial arts twice a week and did that for the first couple of years as a white belt. Got to, got to blue belt two years later and was really competing at those small tournaments locally. And it all started from there. That's awesome, man. So did you do a lot of boxing matches when you were kind of early into the jiu-jitsu career? Were you competing no. with striking yet or were you just found jiu-jitsu hadn't competed in anything, and that was kind of the first thing you did. That was the first thing I really did because I had done some boxing as a teenager, but it was more fitness-oriented, more of a fitness boxing. They didn't really teach the skill of the art of boxing. So how so long into, well, I was going to just ask, well, how long into jiu-jitsu were you before you started thinking about that mixed martial arts piece of, hey, I'm ready for a fight? That started at, as a purple belt um because as a purple belt but by my fourth year i was a purple belt and and i was very competitive at that point and doing really well on the on the local scene in australia nationally and so on but um i i went to abu dhabi twice once in 2003 then again 2007 and once i had a comp, you know, had, had competed at that level and had pretty much done, you know, exhausted as far as I could go in Australia, you know, in submission, grappling, in jiu-jitsu, as well as wrestling, because I was wrestling as well. Um, MMA was the ultimate goal, but my, my agenda was to prepare myself and be a complete martial artist. So... I really spent a lot of time in every discipline. Mostly, most of my time was spent in jiu-jitsu because I loved it so much. But um, So from 97 to 2004, 2002, sorry, I was just doing jiu-jitsu, then, then wrestling. Then I started boxing briefly for a short term in 2002, just training, because I had a, had a you know, significant injury so that I couldn't do jiu-jitsu wrestling, so I just boxed. Then I returned to uh, wrestling and jiu-jitsu and then continued competing and went to Abu Dhabi and I came back to Australia with $11 in my pocket <laughs> and, I, and I said, I've got, to start, I've got to start working. So I worked for a while, you know, made some money, returned. I actually quit my, I decided to quit martial arts in 2003 for, and it lasted about a month and um, I started training again. Uh, and um, it's funny. Okay, so I have to give everybody the background. Like, um, George is one of my best friends, and and we go back, and so like a lot of these stories I'm familiar with, and so some of my reactions will be different because I know the personal side of it, and just knowing you as a person, 
Um, I just got to kind of give that disclaimer, but yeah, I can see you one month in and you're like, yeah, this is a dumb idea. I got to go back. This isn't me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I actually came to, I, I, I came to that decision and it was not easy. It was like, it was like the weight of the world on my shoulders, but um, I did. And, um, you know, a month into it, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So I yeah. returned as if, as if I was returning to get a hit of, you know, methamphetamine or some kind of drug. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I returned and continued training and resumed and, you know, built my finances and started competing again and did really well. And then after a year, I decided to quit. <laughs> I decided to quit that job. <laughs> just focus on training again yeah it's like forget that i'm ready to go all in yeah yeah it doesn't surprise me um so now you've talked about a wrestling coach um that's been a profound influence on you was he around at this time period yeah i met him in 2001 through a friend of mine who i was doing jujitsu with and he was from another town and he would come and train at the club i was at and we became became training partners. And then he had talked about this wrestling coach. And I was really wrestling at a club in Melbourne, but they didn't really teach technique. You just go there and wrestle without learning any any skill or technique. So you're just wrestling by instinct. And and I'd learned some basic moves, you know, like an arm drag, a, a double leg, a sprawl, a single leg, real basic. And you know, those techniques change at the very basic level because you're not learning anything about connection or grips and you know the position of the bot like there's so many variables in wrestling because the position is constantly changing anyway so it so I, I was really wanting to work on my wrestling at this point because i knew how important it was in in mma so he tells me about this, this wrestling coach and i'm like where is he <laughs> got to meet him so we, we arranged to go out to his place on a weekend and he was an hour away in a place called Dale. So it's, a, it's like a country town about an hour and a half from where I was living at the time. And I drove out there and we wrestled with him that morning. And, um, and, I, and I said to him, so if, if I come here every weekend, you know, will you teach me to wrestle? And he's, and he's like, no. And he, shaky, <laughs> he shook his head in agreement and said, no. And I'm like, I was confused. And he goes, yeah, okay. So I started going there every weekend. I didn't, I didn't miss a weekend. I would go there Saturday morning and we would wrestle from 9 a.m. to 12 midday. And then from 5 p.m., from about 4 or 5 p.m. till about 7 or 8 p.m. a night. And then at the time, he was working at a local um, hot springs slash spa center as a cleaner at night. So I would go there and help him clean at night and then get up in the morning and help him clean from like 4 to 7 a.m. 8am some ridiculous hour of the night we do the cleaning and then we'd go wrestle again sunday morning from 9am to midday and then again from five to eight or four to eight and we would just do this for hours and i've, and I've recorded so much of this it's it's on like a small vhs tape somewhere but um and then i'll drive back to geelong and then do my rounds from gyms in melbourne i would go to you know jiu-jitsu and then to wrestling and i would just drive for hours between clubs, racking up miles on my car. Just, just whatever it took to get the result. To get the result, yeah. So again, like I would just apply what I learned with him at the wrestling club. There was a couple of wrestling clubs at the time and I would go wrestle, you know, with these guys who were Olympians and then guys who were, there was like a club of Indians wrestling in one part of Melbourne and these other guys, Russians in another part of Melbourne. And I would just go to these clubs and wrestle with these guys and just keep working on it and then get, go compete at the same time. I would compete against them later on. Yeah. So you were just trying to get the rounds wherever you could, which a lot of martial artists kind of come from that background because, you know, the resources, especially for mixed martial arts, just was not, you know, as unified as it is now. So, you know, piecing it together back in the day and especially, you know, in Australia, just, you know, you guys being so far away from everywhere, um, you know, the spread of knowledge sometimes just, you know, it doesn't get there first. Um, so I know but, that. Biggie was a huge piece in this because, because I, I, had, I had a natural ability to wrestle, but he was able to hone it very quickly because I would ask very specific, I had very good questions and he had, he had the answer for all my questions. So if I would ask him a question, he would give me an answer right there and then we would just drill, drill that and work on it. And, and then he would just show me things that he, he would just add to it with his knowledge. But 
it was it was a really good bond and we're still great friends but it was it was having a personal coke basically yeah. it was like that it was downloading it was downloading whatever he had in his mind to, to mine and it worked really well and then he would actually come and corner me at my grappling tournaments and submission grappling he knew nothing about jujitsu he would just say go out there and bar his arm yeah and it had absolutely no application but i knew what he meant right and, yeah. and execute yeah, yeah yeah you guys had your own language almost you know just yeah, a very synergistic relationship. So when did the first MMA fight happen? So that happened later on in 2004. So I quit that, I quit that job. So I quit martial arts in 2003. I started martial arts a month later. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was working uh, in a professional role at a shipping company. I quit that job in, at the end of July, 2000, sometime in July, 2004. And then started training full time in August two thousand four. So training full time basically was wake up in the morning, do conditioning, which was lifting and cardio. And then in the afternoon, it would be boxing at about three thirty to about five thirty. I would just go there to the boxing gym, which was out in a farm somewhere between Geelong and Melbourne. And then I would drive over to Essendon or come back to Geelong and do jiu-jitsu and wrestling. So I would, I would alternate my days, one day jiu-jitsu, one day wrestling, one day jiu-jitsu, one day wrestling, but I was doing the boxing, the boxing would precede those two on a daily basis, it would, it would always alternate. But the, the boxing workouts were intense, like they were like two hours long, super intense. Like I went in there, I went in there as a beginner, but I trained like a professional and my boxing coach at the time, Literally, the first day I got there, there was no one there. And um, I got there really early because I needed to make time to go from one session to the next. And, um, you know, boxing coaches, they, they're kind of cool, right? So I did the workout and he's just looking at me. And he says, have you trained before? And I said, no. Well, I said, I said no, but I mean, I've done jujitsu and wrestling. And he said, by the end of the training session, he says to me, you train like a professional. And I'm like, okay because I went there with some real purpose. I had like this goal in my mind that I was going to fight in the UFC. I didn't really tell too many people about it because people laugh at you when you, when you share these ideas. Oh, he's not going to do that. Oh, he's, got, he's going to do this. Like they, they like to laugh at you and, and um, minimize you and insult you. But really that's, that's about them. They, they can't ever see themselves achieving something. So they'll take it away from you. Absolutely. You know, and that's one thing that, you know, can you remember the first time that you made that public? You know, like, was that an event in your life to where you were like, you know what, guys, I'm going to go fight in the UFC. Was there a time where you shared that dream on a public enough form that you remember it? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't share with anyone. I just, I was just, I would just train and then compete. So I started boxing in August 2004 and then, in six weeks later, I had my first amateur boxing fight. So, and then basically the schedule I maintained was I would box roughly every three weeks from September 2004 through to November. It worked out or equated to every three weeks I was having an amateur boxing fight. And I was getting very um, anxious to, to, to fight MMA because at this point I'm like, I'm doing everything I can possibly do. I'm, ex I'm, I'm expending my resources. I'm expending myself. I need to, I need to do this. And it was more about, I need to prove it to myself at the time. I just, yeah, there was a lot of stress about it in myself. So I, um, and basically at the, at, at roughly at the end of November it was coming towards the end of the year and, uh, the amateur boxing league at or the, the, that association was closing down for the year and that they're a pretty active, um, group, which is really good for amateur boxers. But for me, it was like I was getting warmed up at that point, and um, I'm like, I need. I, I had I had so much momentum going because like I went, I went, I went three and um, I went three out of I went three and two as an amateur that for those five those first five amateur boxing fights, and the two that I lost were so close. Like my boxing coach was always like, they robbed you, they robbed you, and they probably did or didn't, but but it's like. Of course, as a boxing coach, he's going to say that. Which, and, and at the same time, you know what? He's, he's an honest guy. He never, he never, he never sugarcoated anything. 
So, so then I get online and I'm like, I've got a fight. So I get, on, I get on these forums and I'm like, I'm looking for fights, looking for events. And I'm like, huh, there's some fights right there, Queensland. And Queensland's you know, up north and it's like a good, you know, kickboxing, it's more, it's a Muay Thai community. They love their Muay Thai up there. And there were some MMA fights going on over there, like in the cage and so on, which they, they had done some uh, MMA down here, but still it was very small at that point. There'd been some fights in, 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 in boxing rings, but not so much in the cage. So, but there was none happening here. There was none happening in Victoria. There'd been one or two, but they were so few and far between that wasn't, there, was, there wasn't even any on the horizon. But up in Queensland, it's where it was happening. So I find this promoter, I email him to ask for a fight. And, you know, ironically, someone had been injured or he made place or he, he had heard of me. So he made room on the card and flew me up there. I, I, you know, at the last minute. Um, so... Um, he sends me a 13-page bad agreement. It wasn't really a bad agreement. It was a, um, it was a management contract. But I never signed it. I just went to the fight. For, he never asked me for it, and I never volunteered to give it. So, after, so anyway, so while I was up there, I fought that fight. One. And I remember going to that fight. It was like the biggest... Um, it was the biggest moment of my life because I was in my mind it was like I can't even it was the Armageddon basically and um I went in there and I won the fight in a minute 20 or some a minute 37 or some really quick time and um and I remember after the fight I said I said uh, I said two things first I mean that was easier than what I thought it was but then the other thing I said was thank god for jujitsu <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. Right. It was probably way easier than taking the beatings in boxing, you know, where it's like, whew, that wasn't bad at all. Yeah. I mean, I never took a beating in boxing because of the way I was schooled in boxing. See, in boxing, people, uh, a lot of people are taught to brawl and throw down. And my introduction to boxing was not that. My introduction to boxing was about boxing. It was about hit and move, hit and move, evade, stay safe. And, and if you stick to that plan, you generally um, adhere to the principles of self-preservation, yeah. which is what it should be, which is martial arts. You know, people, a lot of people don't connect boxing to martial arts. They think it's a different, they think it's a sport, not a combat sport or not a martial, it's a martial art. It's one of the first martial arts, one of the first, striking arts but but i was grateful for that introduction because i didn't know i didn't know one style from the other and i'm very familiar with many styles now but at the time i, I wasn't familiar with one from the other so so you, you know, jump in there you take this fight you're like man this went good what was the next step did you just continue doing what you were doing and you know repeat those or did you change the plan did it change something so we go out that night for a drink and um i didn't really at that at this time i had stopped partying partying was not even in my rolodex or my schedule but i went out with my the, the people who accompanied one of them was my cornerman and and um some other people had come there some of his friends and they wanted to go so i went out but i was while i was out i'm like i need to do this again so while they're drinking, I'm just walking around thinking, and I see this poster on the wall. It's, a, it's, it's an event happening in one week or two weeks. And I'm like, I'm going to contact the promoter, see if you need a fighter. So we fly, back, we fly back to Melbourne, and I literally email the guy that night or the next day, and then they email me back, and they fly me back up two days later. I think it was straight up. Yeah, they fly me back up two days later or the week. It was, it was some real quick turnaround. So we go back up a couple of days later. There was three fights. One of them was like, I got to Melbourne. And two days later, back on the plane. It was either this fight or the next fight. I can't remember which one. But So they fly me back up. I fight on that fight. And I win that fight as well. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. So the same thing happens again. Now we... We went out this, no, sorry, this time he had some friends with him. 
So the first time it was just the two of us. The second time his friends accompanied us and there were some people that he knew up there, my cornerman from Queensland. So now we had those, there, was a, there was about four of us. So we went out again and the same thing's happening now. I'm like, I've got to do this again. So I'm walking around while they're drinking and I see another poster on the wall, a K1 poster. And I'm like, this is, this is too easy. I've got to do this again. So I get the poster, I get the details, go back to Melbourne, call the promoter. I said, hey, I want to fight. Is there a spot in your card? And they, and they say to me, well, someone got injured. Do you want to come from? I said, yes, I do. So they flew me back up again. And that was the, um, that was the introduction to my first three fights that happened virtually over, a, it was a, the space of a month, it was three fights. It was a week between one of them or two weeks between one of them. But that's, they, they happened really quick. And uh, I was in tremendous shape. All I did was train, you know, like morning and afternoon. But the, the, the sessions were, they were endurance sessions. And um, that's how it started, you know. Okay, so you're doing MMA, you're in Australia, you're training, you're competing. How do you end up in the U.S.? What, what happened? What was the, the trigger? Like, was it planned? Was it this big elaborate structure? Was it this impulsive, like, you know what? I just need to go. Like. What happened with the, uh, the transition to America? I did not know how I was going to get to the US. I had already made my, so now with, with, we're now at the end of 2004. I've got to rewind to 2001. So 2001 is where that story happened earlier. The 2001, at one, I'd finished university, right? And I'll, I'm about 23 right now. And, um, you know, I finished high school, started college, you know, started jujitsu. And at the same time, you know, I started working, quit, you know, went was studying part time, quit, quit studying, worked full time, went back to college, finished college. And I'm like, you know what? I really, by, you know, I finished with my academics at that point. And I really wanted to, to uh, explore the next chapter of my life, which was martial arts. It was like, you know, in Europe, the kids, after they finish high school, they've got, they got to go to the army at 17 or 18. And then they do that for that two-year period. And then once they do that, then they start their careers, whatever it is. Well, for me, it was like I finished, you know, my studies, which most of us do the same thing in the Western world. And then we go and pursue our vocation or whatever it is that we're going to do. I now wanted to just, I just wanted to experience martial arts or jujitsu in the United States um with you know the machado brothers because i was training as a machado affiliate here so i really wanted to go and experiment and and ex experience that so i flew to the states and i went to la for a month i trained there for a month and then from la i went to new york and i ended up while i was in new york sorry so when i'm in la like um jean jacques Higgin Machado said to me, oh, you're going to go to New York. There's my cousin is over there, Henzo Gracie. And I'm like, Henzo Gracie, who's that? These Gracies are everywhere. He must be, he must be one of the other brothers or one of the other cousins. You know, I never heard of him, which I didn't, you know, but like Henzo is a man. So I went to New York and I uh, was, you know, I had some relatives there and was hanging out with my relatives and getting to know my cousins that are a little bit, little bit older than me. So I would party with them by night and then train by day. And sometimes night before we'd go out. But the, the time in New York, it was like, it was like spring break for me. But I was training at the same time and, and having some great training at Henzo's Academy in New York. And, and that went for, and I, and I did that for about another month. And then from there, I went off to Greece and I you know, visited some relatives, but did a little bit of training there, not too much. You know, it was more of a family meet and greet type of deal. And then I came back and then started working and then started training and, you know, life was getting back to a normal schedule and routine. And that's when, you know, the, the, the jiu-jitsu and the wrestling was taking place. And then the bo bit of boxing started and that, that took me out to 2004. And then the end of 2004 was, the, you know, the, the, M the boxing fights and the MMA fights. And then the end of 2004, I'm like, now I've had three MMA fights, I need more fights. And I really wanted to go fight in the States, but you know, I, had, I believe I had emailed some promoters, King of the Cage and some others, but they never really got back to me because obviously the, the distance between 
you know, I think I think it's the Pacific Ocean is a little. It's 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 quite a it's quite a it's an expense for those guys. So I didn't really hear back from them. So at the same time, I started. I had arranged four fights in Queensland again on four different four different events, and there was a King of the Cage event. There was you know those same promoters, and I basically had organised a fight for January, February, March, and April, but one by one those they cancelled all those fights. Right, and the reason they cancelled those fights was because I hadn't signed an exclusive agreement with one of those companies. So basically, they decided to pull the fights. Right, there wasn't enough money to go around, and nor were there events. So I was gonna, I was, I was a competitor, so I was gonna compete. Yeah. Anyway, so I decided to return to competitive boxing. No, no. So before, so after those fights were cancelled, I was training really hard, and I was very, I was a little um, disappointed. So I, did, I make another trip to the States and, um, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm bypassing a lot of competitions of grappling and wrestling because we're talking more about the MMA right now, right? Because there was Abu Dhabi in there as well. It's a couple of those and so on. But, but um, so I returned to amateur boxing because the boxing, you know, was preparing me for MMA. It wasn't to prepare me as a professional boxer. It was more for a mixed martial arts. And as was really everything, as was the jujitsu and um, wrestling. It always was. Anyway, so I, I continue boxing. I have one more MMA fight in there with um, a guy I would later rematch. And uh, so I had five, five amateur boxing matches that year, plus one more MMA fight that year, which then took me through to the end of 2006. And then I got on a forum and um, I, because by this stage, I, I didn't uh, bother contacting any Australian promoters for, a, for an event because of what happened earlier that year. So then I, I'm on a forum and I see this, this um, and it was the underground, the, the underground forum. Old I haven't school. been on that for, year, for years, but um, I see this post looking for fighters with, an Austra with, an, with a US or Australian passport. And I'm like, I email the guy and I'm like, how about an Australian passport? No, no, he might have been. I mean, he might have just said Australian. I might have said US passport. And I emailed the guy and said, "How about an Australian passport?" And he responded. He said, "Okay." So this, this, the promoter was in Guam, and the, the guy's name was Roman Dela Cruz, and he he owns this he owns this um this t-shirt brand called Buckeye. These guys were really cool out in Guam. Anyway, so this this was like November. It was sometime in November. 2005 and uh so i emailed him and he said okay so send me your resume so i sent him a, a, a my resume and it was you know mostly built up of jujitsu wrestling and boxing and then a little bit of mma it was like the start of, the start of my mma career and um or journey i should say and um because it's it's more of a it's it's a journey and um he says great this is a fight january 28th Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. So I, I was really training hard, but now I'm training really hard. And um, I hadn't heard from this guy for weeks. And I'm like, I sent him some emails. I'm like, hey, is this thing actually happening? I had no information on this thing. And um, I emailed him several times, still no response. And about a week before the fight, he sends me my ticket. I'm like, oh, okay, thank God for that. It's actually happening. And these fights were at one, this fight was at 170. So it, was, it wasn't, I mean, I was still um, above 170, but it wasn't too hard to make weight at that point. So they fly me over and um, I meet Ensign Noe. I literally, I fly to Guam, get off the plane at like 3 a.m. 3 they take us to the, to the store, which was the Fuckeye fuck headquarters down in Guam in Kings Tumon. And they take us to weigh us on the scales and Ensign's in the store. And I meet him and I'm like, oh my God, hey, Ensign Noe. Hey man, I go, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. And um and he's like, hey, how are you? Like, so anyway, off we went to our room and um trained that day and I sorry, went to sleep, rested, trained that, you know, trained those, you know, I was there for three, four days, trained, fought that fight, had a really good fight. And I fought this guy called Sergio from Brazil, and he was a really good grappler, and he was training with um the Diaz brothers, he's a gracious team. 
and you had Dave Terrell there, like that, that whole crew of guys. And uh, it was a really good, it was a tough fight. It was one of the toughest fights I had at that point. And um, I, I, I beat that guy and then Ensign says to me, hey man, you would do really well in Japan. You should be fighting in Japan. I said, well, if I come to Japan, will you get me some fights? He said, hell yeah. And I said, well, I'll see you soon. Yeah. So I went back to Australia and that, and that fight took place January 28th. So then I fly back to, um, I fly back to Australia and then I had a fight one month later and it was to rematch the, the guy that I fought the year before. Mm. And I fought him in a five round fight and I win that fight. And then after that fight, um, basically at this point now, I was teaching martial arts to make a living, teaching privates, teaching classes, training, you know, maintaining this crazy, crazy schedule. My life, my life basically was training all day, teaching classes and private lessons and going to sleep. That's all I did. There was nothing, nothing else was, there was no life. That was my life. No social life, nothing. And um, I ended up quitting that job. And then I fly to Thailand and train in Thailand for a month, a month. So basically after that, that late February fight, it was February something, 28 or something or some, whatever it was. I worked for one more month, quit that job, fly to Thailand, train in Thailand, then go to Japan and spend the rest of 2006 in Japan training at Ensign's gym, at Ensign Noise gym, basically doing jujitsu, wrestling and kickboxing. And um, in that time, I had two MMA fights, once against the, you know, a, rank, an eight, a number eight ranked shooter guy, then the number one ranked shooter guy, which was um, uh, Aoki. And I did some grappling events over there as well. And I made a bit of money off those events. And basically, I, I, made, the, I made the bare minimum of, of money that year. And I just yeah. survived that living in Ensign's apartment. And, um, and then at the end of, the year, end of that year, I returned to Australia briefly. Um, continued training, which then took me into 2007. So the start of 2007 comes around. I ended up having that year, I think in, in February, I had a professional boxing fight. Um, a week later, I, uh, sorry, sorry I, I have a, sorry, I, I competed in February. I did the Abu Dhabi qualifier. Mm-hmm. A week later, I have a professional boxing fight. Okay. A week after that, I fly to South Korea to have an MMA fight. I, meanwhile, always coming back to Melbourne. Yeah. And three weeks later, I fly to New Jersey to compete in, in the 2007 Abu Dhabi. Three weeks after that, I'm on the set of The Ultimate Fighter, compete, fighting three times. You know, basically, I, I competed three times every two weeks. Every two weeks, I was fighting. So from it was like, June through July, whatever, July through whatever, whatever month it was, I was fighting every, every two weeks. And from there, I went to New York and was training at Ray Longo's gym, kickboxing gym. And basically, at the end of that year, I had the, the first fight in the UFC, which was, you know, Ultimate Fight Night 13. No, so, no the, sorry, the Ultimate so, the tough, tough Six finale. And that was like December, I think it was. On the Ultimate Fighter. How did you fall into that? Like, was that like somebody, you know, told you, hey, man, there's this thing where you go try out? Uh, was there a call of somebody kind of knew who you were? Like, how did you get that ultimate fighter to happen? So I'll rewind all the way back to 2001. All right. So all, rewind back to 2001. I go to Jean-Jacques. I go to Higgins, Higgins Academy. It was in Torrance, I think it was. And Jean-Jacques was in Tarzana. I meet this guy called Todd White. He and I have become really good friends. He's like a famous artist. And uh, he, was, he was like, he was a purple belt at the time, training at John Jacques, and I went there as a fresh purple belt. And, and I ended up staying with him for about a, the month uh, that I was in LA. And he was living up in um, the San, Cl- 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 San Clarita Valley, and we'd drive down to the valley every day. And I would just ride with him and go to John Jacques twice a day. But through him, I became, we became really good friends. And, um, and he, and he told me about, hey, there's this thing, The Ultimate Fighter and so on and blah. And I, I think I must, I'm like, at some point, someone gave me some DVDs and like, I started watching it and following it. And um, he knew some people. He knew Mask, the, the guy at Tap Out, and had introduced me to him. And through that relationship, he had passed something onto the UFC. 
and that's how that that that's that opened that door. So actually, the UFC. So then the the Spike TV, um, they had sent me an email and called me to go and be to go and try out for season three, which was middleweights and light heavyweights, and they flew me to Vegas for that. But I was a little uh, small for that division. So they said to me, they'll, they'll get me back for a later, a later um, season when they do welterweights and lightweights. So that's what they got me back for the welterweights, which was season six. And then I got, I got another phone call, you know, in 2007 saying, hey, would you like to come try? And I'm like, of course I do. So you were in. That's how they So what's that? When you were on the ultimate, so when you were in the ultimate fighter, um, something that you were really known for was your work ethic. And, and they kind of painted it that way because you were always like, getting ready in the van and doing these extra workouts um but to you like that was so normal you know which kind of goes back to like our relationship and me knowing you like you're such a workhorse that those guys probably thought you were trying to you know do extra try harder but in your world like that's just how your brain works is if there's amount of time and i can get more reps more rounds then obviously i would do that um you know and how many extra rounds did you average a day when you're on the Ultimate Fighter? I made sure every time because our time was limited. Like I didn't, I didn't, when I would go to the gym, any gym, I didn't. I I finished training when I was finished, not when someone else said it was finished. And for me, finishing when I finish is different to when someone says that's enough. So. Knowing we had only a two-hour time slot to train at, at these practices, I had to maximise that, that, that practice. So I would put my... I didn't want to waste any time getting to the gym. So I would make sure my gear was on in the car, my wraps were on, because we'd always start with boxing, kickboxing, whatever, and then finish with something else from memory. But I made sure what I was... I made sure I was ready to start when we got in the gym. I didn't go in there slowly put my wraps on stretch a little bit i made sure all that was done before we got there so the minute i stepped in i was going there was no i was i was full steam ahead and i didn't stop until i was done but at the same time like they had like we had two hours i was maximizing i was working from the start to the finish i wasn't finished when you know they finished their rounds i finished when they had told us that we could leave which was on the dot. So um, how many rounds, because weren't you getting extra rounds in at the house too, like cardio work and stuff like that? I don't know how many rounds. I, I didn't count them, but I would wake up every morning. You see, the thing is, I was already doing this before we got to the house. Like I was already living this lifestyle. So like my lifestyle was to get up first thing in the morning. I, I would basically get up at 5 a.m. And then I would start my workout by 5.36 and you know i would do that until i was finished now i didn't have access to a a gym with weights which i would i would do my strength and conditioning in a in a you know in a free weight gym and then do cardio we didn't have that at the, at the house where we where we lived it was a it was a big lot it would have been like a one acre property where you know they had like the, you know the house the infrastructure the you know the swimming pool the barbecue but behind that was just a vacant lot and they hadn't they hadn't it was just they, they just hadn't developed it they hadn't like renovated it so i'm like i'll use that as my course so i would run do my cardio i just made this little i made a little circuit of a, a track and i'll just run for time for like 30 minutes 40 minutes whatever whatever it was at the time and i'll do my cardio and i'll just do calisthenics to which is actually fine because in six weeks you know you don't want to really be lifting heavy weight anyway you want to be more maintaining and staying loose and not really being tight and slow so it actually worked out well but the cardio piece was important the calisthenics was important so i would do that every morning i never missed it what was the toughest part of the show what was the toughest part of the whole experience nothing it was easy it was just trained full times like this is what you've been waiting for like be a full-time fighter and you finally had it it was so easy um i was already doing it and i had a driver taking me to and from training they were feeding us there was nothing hard about it. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a blessing. That's, and that's the power of perspective, man, which you've always done a good job with. Um, so then you get through the show, 
you get your first official UFC fight. Um, did it feel different whenever, like, you guys kind of did the fight night? You know, was it a different experience because of the crowd, things of that nature? Did that stuff affect you, or were you just there to do work and you just went out and did what you're supposed to do? No, it, 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 I came off a loss in my last fight on The Ultimate Fighter, and it was important to me to retain a contract with the UFC. And the weight of that was on my mind. But I, again, like when I got to New York, I had a look of, you know, like I had some downtime. About, there was about a three-week three downtime, like, you know, getting adjusted to the place, finding a place to live, getting established in the new country. Like I literally went there with one bag. So I had some downtime and I was eating a lot of food. Like I blew out to like, I don't know, 185, 190, which I got big, right? And, um, but after that initial month, I got back into training and it was like, it was like I was on the other, it was like nothing had changed. I was still doing what I was doing in Australia, in Japan, on the show and it, nothing changed. Just, just the scenery changed. Nothing. I just maintained the same schedule early morning, noon, night, training, bed, up, morning, noon, night, bed. It was just the same thing. And, um, it was awesome. So going to that, that fight in December, 2007, I went there with like, it was important that I win because it was, it was preparing for my future. That's how I looked at it. It wasn't just a fight. It was, it was the weight of my future was on the line. So it was more than just a fight. It was like, there was a lot of things, there was a lot behind it. It was who I was. It was, I had to prove it to myself. It wasn't just, get, it wasn't, it wasn't just getting paid. Yeah. It was, that wasn't even in my mind. Well, I mean, have you ever been what you would consider monetary driven as a fighter or has that always been just a byproduct of who you are being a fighter? That's a, that's a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. So who did you fight in that fight? So I fought Billy Miles on the show and this is where now they're killing off the characters. <laughs> so I fought Billy Miles and I won that fight. And again, because of the pressure that I, that I put on myself, the first thing I said after that fight was, man, that fight was easy. Yeah. And because I had, built, I had built it up to be something so much bigger than what it was. And it wasn't as big as I had made it out to be, but it was still, there was the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And, um, and, and then I said, thank God for jujitsu because I choked him. Again, again, yes. And someone um, heard me. Say that, someone heard me say that fight was easy. Don't, don't, don't let anybody hear you say that. But I wasn't saying it out of arrogance. I was no. saying it because I had built him up. I had built him up, or I had built the event up to be um, a Godzilla type yeah. of thing. And it wasn't. It was. It's because I made it that. So I, I put myself in the corner, and it wasn't. I didn't need to. Right. It wasn't that he wasn't a valid, good opponent. It was that you had built up this situation and this expectation that was completely unrealistic that you could have never lived up to. And whenever it didn't come in that, you know, overwhelming and severe, you know, you were just thankful of like, oh, man, that, you know, that was not as bad as what I perceived it could have been, um, which I think a lot of competitors and athletes go through that. But like you said, you got some good advice where people are like, well, man, you know, you don't want to be telling people that because it comes across the wrong way. And. Um, well, it was, never, it was never the, it was never the case. I was never. Yeah. I'm never. I'm never the person. Well, I'm never. And you've never been like. I mean, I've never known you to say an arrogant word in my life, man. Usually, it's like George. It's okay. You can tell them that you're good at this. Like, you know, it's just. Uh, but that's what keeps you hungry, you know, because you're always chasing that next level. You're chasing the next level. This isn't good enough. I need the next one. This isn't good enough. I need the next one. You're very progressional like that which I think helped your career so much because, I mean, you're one of the hardest working fighters in MMA, man. I mean, people always knew that about you in training camps and people that worked with you. Um, you know, that was just always your reputation was just the workhorse. So you, you make it through the show. You're in the UFC. You're having the fights. What was your favorite fight after the show in the UFC? Which one were you like, man, you know, that was a lot of fun or that you just enjoyed the competitiveness of it or just everything came together. Just 
what was your favorite fight? Um, the first fight that was was the Joe Stevenson fight because UFC well, that was the first pay per view I was on. It was, an, it was, it was you know, the, the cards were getting, you know, there was, the, I was getting high on the card. It was more significant. I was making a name for myself. I was no longer on the undercard. That was a, that was a big fight. And he was super tough. Like, he's a tough guy. Like, he, he kept pushing, you know. Like, I don't think he was in the condition I was in, but I'm impressed by the, the, the pace he pushed for the condition he was in because I don't think he was at his best, but I know he gave me his best. Yeah. No, and I felt, I felt it, I felt it, and I you, man. And if I wasn't in the condition I was in, I don't know. I don't know how it would have gone, but I was in, I was in ridiculous, ridiculous condition. <clears throat> um, so that was that was a great fight. But then the Pellegrino fight, like I, I was coming off some momentum. So now, and it was kind of the same as my as the start of my career, like. I had those five amateur boxing fights and I went to those three MMA fights and there was a lot of momentum. So now like I built up some momentum from UFC 101, which was Rube, then UFC 106, which was Dan. Now it's UFC 110, which is Stevenson. So now I'm going to 116, which is um, Pellegrino. And he's tough, you know, and ironically, like rewind back to now UFC 106, and I'm fighting, I'm fighting um, Jason, I think it was Jason Dent. It was in, um, it was in um, Philadelphia. It was a, I think it might, no, it might have been, I can't remember, it was one of Rupert Dent. And, um, and um, I was making weight. It was the first or second time I was making weight at 155. And, um, and, um, I had already like done trial cuts to 155 before I even fought at 155. So like rewind now back to 2008 and I've done trial cuts. So going into 2009, I do my first fight. I wake up the morning of the fight, the morning of the Wayne, and I'm like 158. Oh, wow. Easy. So I just went, I, I went and did two rounds of shadow, two rounds of, boxing i just ran on the treadmill i didn't even run i just jumped on the treadmill which i would have done anyway and i was on weight which was like it took me 15 minutes to be on weight to lose those two three pounds yeah so i got into 55 minutes and usually i like to go sauna regardless of my weight so i never i never used saunering as a way of um cutting weight i just i always dieted down and then i would um get close to weight and just you know sweat it out that morning of the last few pounds. So then I thought, you know what, I've made weight. I'm going to go sit in the sauna and relax. So I'll go sit in the sauna and Kurt Pellegrino's in there. And he gave me, he gave me stink face, which he just gave me a dirty look. And he was in there with his corners and I, and I was, and I was by myself now. Like my, my the guys I was there with went back to the room. They did what they, they were doing. So I go to the sauna by myself and, and, and his buddies are in there. They're like, Hey man, how you doing? I'm like, yeah, good. And they go, how much weight you got to lose? I said, none. They go, why, why are you here? And I said, because I want to relax. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me this, he gave me this, this, this like dirty look. And I thought, what's your, I'm like, why? It's like, I, there was no problem between us, but he was giving me, he was giving me stink face. And I thought, I thought nothing of it. I just thought, oh, well, he's from the Jersey Shore. What do you expect? Yeah. So I sat there, went and um, relaxed, left. And what never saw him again until UFC one sixteen, and uh, he was talking some some shit about me, which I never understood why. We never had any beef, but he was I guess he was trying to get under my skin. And to this day, he still talks shit about me. I don't know why. I, I don't know why I've, I've never well, said a bad thing about him. In the entertainment business of MMA, you know, sometimes you got the facade you put on and. You know, you just never know, but it definitely comes with the territory. That's for sure. Well, that, this is kind of the first time I'm experiencing it in the States. I'd experienced it a, bit, a little earlier in my career when I was fighting in, in Australia. That was more bragging rights from the local territory. You know, this is now like on a different level, which was totally foreign to me. So he's talking shit about me. And, uh, 
and it was only fueling the fire. So it was adding fuel to the fire. So I fired him. We had a good fight, but I, I convincingly beat him. And um, it put an end to that. But I don't understand why he was still talking some shit after the fight. You never know, man. You never know. Yeah. Um, so, so when you were oh, fighting at lightweight, whenever you were making the weight cuts, were they all easy cuts because you prepared so much or were some of them more difficult than others? The later cuts were harder because things I was, I was always trying different things. Yeah. So the way I was doing it in the beginning was just like strict hardcore diet and massive volumes of training. Yeah. So it made it, it made it very easy to cut weight. There was no cutting weight. It was that the, that the, yeah. the training and the diet was the cut. Yeah. So then you, I met people. Well, I was just going to say, so you trying to find that recipe for what's better and what's big, you know, you, you seeking improvement found some challenges that reflected in the weight cut just the later on. Cause it's like, Oh man, you know, this isn't working quite as well. And Correct. it was a little struggle. Yeah. And you know, and that happens, man, because there's a lot of athletes that, you just you don't know what you don't know so you go try something new you do something different i heard this works that works um especially like i said whenever you're pushing yourself all the time you know what's better what's the next level what's you know what is out there and you go experiment and you know when you're in the middle of your career sometimes it's like oh man i was, took a left turn need to go back i need to do this need to do that so um you see a lot of guys struggle with that you know um so, like I like I had heard about guys cutting weight early early on. For example, when we got onto the like before I even got to the states, I'd, I'd hear about guys cutting thirty pounds. I'm like, God damn, they make it sound like it's easy. But then my first experience with that was on season six, when um, one of the guys I fought, no, sorry, 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 one of the guys on the other the other team, I think it was the guy I fought, Billy Miles. He cut thirty pounds in his first fight and um i remember matt hughes saying yeah just eat, eat as much as you eat as much as you need to build your strength and your energy and keeps you know and we'll, and we'll cut it at the we'll cut it before the fight but i didn't understand i couldn't understand i'm like how does that that didn't make sense to me the numbers didn't work it just you know i i know the numbers for me i know i know what i need to eat drink i know i know the i know the I know the schedule, I know the numbers, it just, it makes sense. That didn't make sense. So, and I was watching what was going on, I'm like, how did, I, was, I thought they were, man, they, they must know something I don't. But then he, he, he struggled to make weight and he had a, he had a, um, he had a, he had a poor showing in his fight and it showed, it showed that one up. But I thought maybe he got it wrong. I thought he got it wrong. So I thought someone's not doing it right. So then I wasn't, I didn't shut it out. I didn't, I didn't eliminate it as an option. So um, after UFC 110, I had a, a wrestling coach with me, Eric Jaton, and he's a, one of the most decorated wrestlers I worked with in the States and an amazing person. And um, he said, don't suffer as much as you're suffering. Let's keep some weight on. We'll do, we'll do two cuts. We'll do one the night before the, the, the fight. Sorry, one night before the one. We'll do one the night before the wane and then one the morning of the wane. I'm like, okay, I'm doing, it, I'm doing it fine as it is. I'm open to that. So just keep a little bit more weight in because I was, you know, schedule I was maintaining. I was getting run down or feeling the fatigue. Well, I was always feeling the fatigue because uh, I was always working, right? But so I did it, and um, we we did five pounds the night before, and five in the morning. I man, I had the like the dry mouth. You always have a dry mouth that night, but this 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 time more so because I did I did the cut the night, but it was just different because I didn't normally do it that way. I didn't I would I would avoid the sauna the week of. I would just do it the you know, the day of the wane, which I never even needed. I never need, even used the sauna the day of the of the wane or the night before. I avoided all that because it, it just saps your energy and your strength. But I did it and, and it worked and I've heard so many things about weight cutting. I've done water loading. I haven't done water loading. I've, now I've, done, I've done five gallons of water in a, in a day at one point. Like I've, I've, they say, you know, do the water loading up to three gallons. I did five. I, did, I just went as far as I could. <laughs> it's um, dangerous now. Like, I mean, they've shown like 
dude, you'll wash down your sodium or whatever the tips you like. That's dangerous. Um, yeah, I, I, I was pushing volume, 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 but it's like, didn't need to do it. Didn't need to do it. Like, there's a lot of misinformation. Like, you know, you hear about stories about, you know, collegiate wrestlers doing all this, uh, you know, water loading and weight cutting in college, but the guys who are doing it properly are only doing small volumes anyway. They're doing two, three pounds. If you're, if you're a proper athlete, you're doing two, three pounds max. Five, five's a lot. You know, yeah. four, four max is, is what you should be doing. No more than that. Like, you should be close to your weight where you're doing a small cut because once you start putting in this mentality of having to cut a lot of weight and dieting where you're going to suffer, when you're going to, like, be, be, like, starved of food, that's when you start to mentally suffer. Yeah, and, you know, and it's funny to see the, the, the industry come full circle where, you know, in the start of MMA, people just showed up and it's like, hey, we're ready to fight. Weight classes were loose. It was just kind of like, hey, we're just going. Then there was this weight cut thing that happened. Um, and I can remember, you know, I kind of fell victim to that too with me and my guys where it was like, it's all about the weight cut. It's all about the weight cut. You know, you want to, you know, lean down and be as heavy as you can all the time, suck down the water. Um, and, you know, there was this five to 10 year period of MMA where it was all about the weight cut. And now, you know, they're changing the rules where you can only cut so much, you know, because they're seeing that there's really negative health effects that go with that aside from just your performance as a fighter. But I mean, there's some serious health, serious health risks that go with that, that now they're figuring out, you know. I've, I've done a lot of saunering and uh, hot bars over the years. And I notice regardless of if I'm cutting for a fight or not, I notice that if I do a lot of, normally when I do saunas and spas, I usually do it intensely regardless. So I'll, I'll go there and do sets of like 20 minutes and I'll do four to five sets of it and I'll do contrast bars for recovery. You normally feel it the next day. You have to recut, you, you, you go there, you use the bath as a recovery tool or you know, as a tool for recovery, but then you've got to recover from the bath. Yeah. So you don't, there's like, there's, you don't want to overdo it. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, it's, it's something that you should avoid before your fight. It's you want to do the minimum. Yeah, which I mean, and this when you're trying to go in there at a hundred percent, you know, it just, but the sport just growing and evolving and people figuring out. Like I can remember hearing about the bathtub method and just being like, no way that works. There's no way that would work. I mean, it just shows you how like ignorant, naive I was. Cause at this time I'm like, you mean to tell me if you sit in hot water, you lose weight. I, I can remember when I was a kid hearing that thinking that's crazy. We're all about saunas, you know, cause I have some rigidity in my personality as well, which I think is why we get along well. Cause it's like, no, this is the way, this is what we do. And that's it. Um, so now a little bit more philosophical, you know, you, you made it to the UFC. You had one of the longest winning streaks in lightweight history you know, you did well, you performed well, but what did martial arts mean to you outside of the ring? Like, how did it influence your life and who you are besides just being a fighter? I don't think I could live without martial arts. It's like, it centers me, it gives me, it makes me happy, it gives me purpose. Um, everything I do is about martial arts. That's a good answer, man. So if you were going to give somebody some experienced advice, I mean, you've been doing martial arts over 20 years now. You're still a competitive athlete. You, you know, you run a school, you train with your guys all the time. You're still doing bonus training on your own. Obviously not right now because of, you know, our circumstances, but you know, the work ethic that you still have to this day without letting off, if you were going to advise somebody that's, you know, on the beginning track of this martial arts thing even if they don't want to be a fighter they just they want to be in martial arts they want to be a high level athlete whether it be bjj boxing kickboxing mma what is the best advice that you can give them that you think would help them yield results faster than if they just go out on it on their own i would have to say find yourself some honest uh people who have genuine credentials in martial arts. And even if they don't, as long as they're an honest person and will guide you the right way, 
that's a very big pitch because you want to you want to build a team of good people and that is you know the team makes the dream that's it man because um, so, even like right now in your own school like i mean you have kind of this this tribe and community that you've been building over the last couple of years how has that impacted your perspective of martial arts and your own leadership now that you're kind of because you've always taught martial arts you've always been a coach and a mentor and a leader for people but now you have like your own flock that you have raised up you know from the beginning how has that affected you as a <laughs> um excuse me how has that affected you as a leader it's um it's it's actually teaching me a lot more about martial arts like i'm learning just from teaching people and it's confirming things it's um it's confirming things and confirming the path that this is the this is the way to do it this is how to do it this works um as a leader i'm not really sure how it's how it's um how it's affected me or changed me it's like i'm just leading by example i don't have a leadership style i guess my leadership style is just to be myself and be honest and help people as best i can and that's all i can do it's up to them to do the work but i won't i don't really like sometimes i can see people um cutting corners and i'll point it out to them I, i'll tell them that they can do better than that because i can you can see if someone's really applying themselves and if they're not yeah so i will call it out because there have been times where I've been disappointed in the lack of effort. It's really important as a coach and a mentor and a, and a leader to have that relationship with your students because there has to be that um, implicit trust because in the moment, whenever the, you know, the fight's on the line, the championship is there, when you ask them to do the impossible and the unreasonable, they have to trust you and have faith in the relationship to go and push themselves beyond the limits that they, they believed that they had. And, and I find myself, even as a student and as a fighter, I still have that relationship with my coach whenever it's in those situations to where when it's in between rounds, when the fight is happening, you know, I can remember him being in my face and just say, Caleb, you just got to go. You just have to go. You have to believe and go whenever on the inside, I'm like, there is no go left, but yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going, you know, like that relationship is so important. And you have to, you know, steward that, especially as a leader, you know, you have to really make sure you respect that relationship where you can tell people the truth, both good and bad, you know, so you're not their biggest critic. You're just honest with them. I'm going to add to what you're saying. I don't, I don't try to play the tough guy and I don't try to play the general and I don't try to play the, the iron fist like, hey, you got to do this. I'm the coach. I, it's not, I'm not about that. It's, and and the coaches I had, my boxing coach, my wrestling coach, never were either. They were just genuinely good, good down-to-earth people who spoke to me the way, they, the way they spoke to me, which is in a very humble way. But they never had to tell me to work the way I did. They actually, it was, the, like, it was more the opposite. You need to slow down, right? Which I can see why they said it now. Um, because there were times when I went into fights exhausted because I overdid it. But... I'll never point the finger and say, hey, you know, you, you, you let me down or like something to that effect because that's all bullshit and it doesn't, it's not, it's not going to get through. It's like some soft words is all you need. The truth is all you need. Um, when I was training long before I even fought in MMA, I used to train so hard. I'd get up when it was dark. I would run in the rain. I would do, I would sprawl in the mud. I would do my sprints on and over in the dark. And um, I remember telling myself, not just, I would tell myself on occasion, not just in those early hours, it was something that would go through my mind um, obsessively that if I can't do this now, how am I going to do it when it counts? So I would be doing these intense lifting sessions, which were not, there was, there was virtually little to no rest between sets followed by um, grueling cardio sessions. And some of these sessions were on a treadmill where the treadmill burnt out because it was just, it was, it was just escalating, 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 where I could have just gone into, I could have competed as a marathon runner. And um, I would tell myself, if I can't get through, which I set myself these ridiculous tasks, which were totally unreasonable. 
But I would, t as it was happening, so I, I said to myself, if I can't do this now, how am I going to do do it, uh, do that when it counts? So I was, I guess I was on the right track, but um, no one ever had to tell me. But like, if, if I have to tell someone, it'll be in a very honest way. I'll never belittle someone because there's no place for belittling. It's, it's not acceptable. No, no, absolutely, man. And, and your leadership style reflects that. And, you know, so, you know, me and Hula got to come down last year, um, which was awesome because we flew in on New Year's Eve. So we all got to go down to the river and watch the fireworks um, for the new year of 2019, which was really awesome. And then just getting to go to the school and train and just hang out every day. Uh, it was such a good time, man. I, I tell people this day because, you know, I get to travel the world, which is, um, you know, really a blessing. And martial arts has just kind of brought me to a lot of people. But our time in Australia was like the one time that we've ever traveled or been anywhere where it just felt like home, you know, cause we had the apartment and just, you know, you would come over in the morning, we would go to work at the gym, we would go back to lunch, you know, go back to work at the gym. And it was just so familiar with the routine, but um, definitely never time in our life that we ever felt as at home somewhere besides, you know, here in Bentonville. And uh, you know, and I just, you know, I always knew I wanted to go to Australia as far as be a special thing, but to be able to go and hang out with my buddy and see your school and meet everybody and kind of just see what you've built, man, it was really an awesome experience. And, and everything that you've said and all the work you put in your career is definitely coming through in the product of, of your students and your school and, and what the culture is down there um, of, your, of your guys that train. So you, you've really established yourself as a much more well-rounded leader than maybe you give yourself credit just like with the fighting game you know you're a very well-rounded fighter uh and you've done the same thing and, and you're delivering the same opportunities to those guys because you will always be able to tell them the truth if, if they're going to be able to to make the run as as a fighter or if they just want to improve their fitness you know i mean just the support system that you've created down there is is truly truly special so i appreciate you making time and uh, it's a unique thing with uh, what's going on in the world right now. So I'm glad that we got to kind of talk and engage um, and, and share some of these stories because I definitely feel people are going to benefit from this and just hearing your experiences. Is there anything that you want to end with? It's hard for me to make a self-assessment in some of the questions about how I rate myself as a leader or what I learned from martial arts because it's it's me in the picture, so I I it's hard for me to you know to actually give you the exact answer because it's I mean it's it's hard to step out of myself and, and observe and see what's going on. I just know how I operate, and I'm also rigid in certain things. And at times you got to bend and be flexible and so on. But it's it's hard to make that assessment, um, which you, you probably know yourself. But um, you know like. I've met some really cool people in martial arts, you included. And you meet all sorts in martial arts, good, bad, ugly. And um, I'm, I'm privileged that I got to meet you and have you come and help me here because the, the tools you gave me, the, the, what we implemented has helped the school grow. And I've got to thank you for it. Absolutely, man. It was definitely my pleasure. It's definitely going to be a fun journey because there's more things for us to do. Um, thanks for taking the time today. I hope you guys are staying safe and, and you're finding a way to keep yourself busy because I know that you are a, a workaholic maniac. So I'm sure that you are running around busy. Um, and I just really you know, want to just show appreciation for you uh, sharing your story because really that's what people need to hear because there's 20 something years of experience that you just kind of poured out to people that they can hopefully learn from. And, and take some shortcuts. So I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you, man.